Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say, so there will always be others that see it differently, and I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. The whole point of coercive control is that the victim is made to feel as though it's their fault or that that's meant to be normal. So they very rarely recognise they're a victim of domestic violence. As I indicated last week, Callie and I will be dealing with the death of Hannah Clark and her three children at the hands of her husband, the children's father. Please consider whether this subject, which can be confronting and upsetting, is right for you. And please take care listening to it. And don't hesitate if you feel like it's all getting a bit difficult and upsetting to listen to. There is nothing wrong with acknowledging that you don't feel comfortable. Because Callie and I believe that there are subjects which are uncomfortable to discuss, but they need to be discussed. And as I said last week, we're not going to go into detail about the actual deaths, but we do go into detail about what led up to it and the aftermath of what is domestic violence at its worst. And I only know what happened, as most of us know, through the media. But there are a few comments I'd like to make before we continue our podcast with Kelly. As I said in my introduction, Hannah's husband personified coercive control. And it is so dangerous because it so often goes undetected. Because coercive control is all about power. 
manipulation and intimidation to the point where the victim complies because they're so scared of the outcome if they don't comply. On its own, one little word or act may be innocuous to most of us, but to those who live with these thugs, they learn the signs and they know what may result if they ignore those silent instructions. What is it that makes somebody want to control somebody else? To watch their every move, to scare the living daylights out of them, like to make them so compliant to their every wish. I just don't understand how somebody becomes like that because you wouldn't be born like that. I've read Hannah's husband's controlling behaviour was so bad he'd demand sex every night, whether Hannah wanted or not, and I'm guessing she didn't. He was committing rape every single time he forced Hannah into it. Thugs like Hannah's husband are, unfortunately, I have to admit, admit, clever in the way they control their partners. They don't leave marks if they've been physically violent. They intimidate, they isolate their partners. I've just seen it too many times. We need victims of domestic violence and police out there to understand isolation and coercive control. It's a form of domestic violence, even if they aren't physically assaulted. It's not all about bruises and broken bones. It's a very dangerous situation to be in. And in my experience in policing domestic violence, it becomes worse as the relationship continues to a point where the victim begins to believe that that behaviour is normal. Police need to be trained in identifying coercive control and how to deal with it if they aren't already. And the courts also need to improve their response to uh, domestic violence because courts can sometimes hear the evidence of a mother leaving a violent relationship with her children only to be ordered to hand over their children to that same abusive partner for shared access. That would surely indicate that the court don't believe the evidence of the mother. Why else would you allow your children to be handed over to a person who's alleged to have been violent and abusive to the person giving evidence? And in fact, I don't mean why would you allow because you are being ordered by a court. So it's not like you're allowing the children. But every victim and alleged perpetrator in a domestic violence matter they should be legally represented. And again, I've seen too many victims cross-examined by the very person that they're at court for. And understandably, they crumble under the pressure. And it shouldn't be like that. It's difficult enough to make that decision to go to court and be strong enough to stand up in a witness box when you've never, ever done that before. A witness box or court in general, it's intimidating, it's frightening, And in the state of mind uh, a lot of people are in when you get into the witness box, it's just so foreign uh, to what you know. These feelings that you're at court to try and stop manifest themselves yet again, and this time in the very place you're going for help and guidance and support. In, In a way, going to court and giving evidence, you're being abused all over again. I've seen alleged perpetrators cross-examine the victim on the witness stand, but I'm just hoping that's changed because if it hasn't, it should be. The system 
seems to, or it seemed, let's say, to protect the alleged perpetrator more so than the actual victim. How many times have we heard how a mother was encouraged to leave an abusive and violent relationship, quote, for the sake of the children, unquote, but then have to agree to a court ruling that those very children are ordered to spend access visits with the very person she's left. It, it, yeah, it just doesn't make sense, does it? The effects on the children being shared in an arrangement like this can have far-reaching psychological problems for those children for the rest of their lives. And how does someone use their very own children as pawns in a relationship? Hannah found the courage from within to leave her husband, which would have been to him the ultimate in betrayal. He breached the intervention order that Hannah had taken out on him because he didn't think the law applied to him. It's clear that he thought he was above all that. So let's hear more from Kelly and her incredible kindness, sacrifice and her mission to help victims of domestic violence. Could we move to that the very delicate matter uh, with Hannah Clark and her relationship with her husband? I was wondering if you could give the listeners a snapshot of Hannah's life and the murder-suicide of herself and her three children. Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely um, happy to do so, but I'm almost certain um, most of your listeners would have heard of Hannah or at least heard of the situation surrounding her, the murder of her and her three beautiful children. Um, Mm. Hannah was one of the most unassuming clients I've ever met. Um, It was between Christmas and New Year um, in 2018, 2019 that Hannah first called me. Um, I was on call over the holiday period as I always am because I own a law firm. Um, (laughs) I was actually down at Coolangatta on holiday with my now husband, Yep, I'm up to number three. Um, <laughs> he, third time lucky. Yeah, third time lucky. This one's staying. Um, <laughs> I'm very good friends with my previous one. Um, yeah, I heard you say that. That's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know yeah. how to co-parent with an ex-husband, you see. Um, yeah. So, no, I was down at Coolangatta with my now husband um, and I was on call and I took this call from a very distressed um, Hannah Baxter at the time. Um, And she told me that her um, recently estranged husband had met up with them for coffee at Belimba and he had been walking the kids back to the car with her and he suddenly grabbed their middle child um, and took off with her down the street, popped her in his car and driven off. So he had essentially taken one of their children. She was letting him have some time with the kids, but while she was around because of some of the concerns that she had, and rightfully so, and he'd taken off um, with Leana down to northern New South Wales somewhere and she was really concerned about her and she he was refusing to bring her back and um, she was, had essentially reached out to me um, to see what she could do at law um, and I gave her advice about getting a recovery order and encouraged her to speak to the local police because it actually turns out that someone that witnessed the incident had actually gone straight to the police and reported it as a kidnapping. That's how serious it looked. Um, and she, um, that really helped that lady, um, whoever you are, and I'm sure that it will come up in the inquest, um, which will happen next year, um, really helped Hannah 
get some traction with Queensland Police. Um, they took out a protection order for her almost immediately and were able to recover Liana um, within a number of days, which was really good because we don't always have those really quick responses by police, and that's probably the same in every state. It just depends very much on the police officer that you make the complaint to as to it what does. actually happens with it, and that is a... Yep. That's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> We're up to three now, like your husbands. <laughs> no. um, I think the um, you know the response of Queensland Police Service and Hannah's Matter was so be above and beyond. They were incredible, oh, really? and um, and I know that Sue and Lloyd are so thankful for Queensland Police Service and everything they did and Hannah with Hannah's Matter because um, without them, um, that you know they wouldn't have had. Um, the time that they did have, I don't think. They were really, really um, lucky to have the support of QPS and I know that they will, they'll continue to work with them with small steps for Hannah. But um, so when Liana was returned, um, I ended up um, acting as Hannah's family lawyer. So I knew Hannah from about mid-December 2018 um, or, sorry, mid late December 2018. When we reopened in January, um, we set up, um, a mediation. I won't go into all of the details of that, but yep, yep. essentially Hannah um, allowed him to have a couple of visits with the kids. Um, and then um, there was an incident um, whereby he was um, physically violent with her for the first time in front of the kids. And that was the first time he was, it was the first time he was ever physically violent with Hannah ever. Oh, okay. um, so, and it wasn't, a massively serious incident, but it was serious enough for her to stop him spending time with the children after that. And he was charged with assault and breaching the protection order at the time and released on bail because he had no criminal history. Um, and it was 19 days after she, that incident that, um, that he took their life. Um, so, 19 days after she stopped him seeing those children and he lost control, um, that he hopped in their car one morning on the way to school, um, doused the children and Hannah in petrol, set them alight and then got out of the car and stabbed himself to death um, because of the weak, psychotic human that he was. Um, he let them perish in that manner and then took his own life the way that he did. And, and you know, I think everyone's heard the details of it. It's mm. particularly Terrific. traumatic. Mm. But what really is incredible is that Hannah, with all her strength and courage and incredible determination, was able to stay alive long enough to give a statement to Queensland Police Service before she was taken to hospital and died a number of hours later about what had happened. Um, and it wasn't if it wasn't for that statement, the police would probably still be piecing together what happened that day. Um, so she did that for herself. She did that for her children. Um, and she did it for the greater good of what has now been a massive movement um, to criminalise coercive control and really bring it to the attention of um, those uh those women that are suffering from that particular form of domestic violence and never knew they were victims. And I can tell you now, Hannah never knew she was a victim. She told me things and I said, Hannah, these things are really serious. Um, and 
she said the same thing to her parents. And I know I've seen Sue many times talk about how she kept saying to Sue, but mommy never hits me. Um, so just recognizing what a serious form of domestic violence it is because it centers around power and control. Um, very much like non-lethal strangulation. It centers around power and control. It's incredibly dangerous. And when that person loses control, that's when the real danger comes. So um, that was my work with Hannah. And I, I knew her for all of six or, se- six or seven weeks. But she's had such an incredible impact on my life and many, many other people's lives. And across the world um she's an incredibly unassuming young lady beautiful fit incredible mother so strong and determined to move on to the next stage of her life um and i know um that she has done such an incredible thing post her murder um and her death for for helping so many other women um, and I know that she would be really proud of that and she'd be so proud of her parents for what they've done as well. Mm. And so are you saying that Hannah didn't realise that she was a, a victim of a domestic violence or family violence? No, she had no idea. She knew that it wasn't right. She yeah, knew yeah. that him following her or tracking her phone or um, telling her what she could and couldn't wear telling her who she could and couldn't hang out with, all of those things. She knew those things weren't right, but she didn't realise it was domestic violence. She, she had no idea how dangerous it was. She um, really ticks all the boxes, doesn't she? Yeah, well, that's like, why she's become yeah. Yeah. the beacon of of what, you know, to really she's a, the guardian angel of, of all the women that <laughs> are in the yeah. same situation because – if it hadn't been for her, we still would be living in this world where we weren't quite sure on how to deal with it. I mean, it is an incredibly difficult thing to criminalise, I'll have to say that. Um, mm, yeah, It is dealt with under the domestic and family violence legislation as a form already of, um, of domestic violence, but it's a difficult thing to sometimes recognise. Um, and the whole point of it, the whole point, of, of co- coercive control is that the victim is made to feel as though it's their fault or that that's meant to be normal. So they very rarely recognise they're a victim of domestic violence. Um, they're usually really strong women that it, it's a slow and gradual um, decline into this control. Um, and, yeah, they they, they – quite often will not recognise their victims, but Mm. she certainly didn't, so. But but it also sounds like (laughs) this is going to – I'm certainly not criticising her mother and father, my goodness, how could you ever – but it's almost like others didn't recognise that she was a victim as well. Would I be right in that? Um, I think her friends did. Um, Okay. And I'm very, very fortunate to be – quite close with her friends now. I'm seeing oh. them tomorrow, actually. Isn't that um, lovely? Yeah, yeah. so um, I know her friends did, but he wouldn't yeah. let her hang out with her friends, really. So um, Again, it's all about control. Yeah, so mm. I don't think that – I don't think anyone ever thought he would – well, I certainly never thought no. he would do what he did. 
and I've sat in a, a room with him before. Um, I've had other clients where I have been really, really worried for their safety to the point where I've I had sleepless nights about it, but probably not Hannah. Like when it happened, I was like, what? Um, I knew, but it really, and that's the whole point, isn't it? That's the whole point why we have to keep talking about it because it can happen to anyone. Um, and Sue and Lloyd are of a generation where, um, like many of our mothers and fathers, domestic violence, if you've not got the bruising, if you've not got the injuries, then it's not domestic violence. And it's something I hear all the time. So. But, but also there's that issue, I don't know about you, but in my era it was like you didn't, if you said something to say your daughter or your mother or whatever, or your son or your husband, that it was almost like you were interfering, like that's personal business that you don't Absolutely. discuss. Absolutely, it's behind mm. closed doors. So, yeah. you know, and yeah. also you can push people away by telling them that. So, you yeah. know, I know Sue and Hannah were incredibly close, so, and, you know, always will be. Um, so I don't think Sue would have ever wanted to push Hannah away mm. to the point where she wasn't allowed to see her own grandchildren or because she was incredibly close to those kids. So there's a whole there's a whole element of of almost placating a perpetrator um, because you're scared of what might happen if you don't. Yeah. It's the same thing with women leaving domestic violence situations. I have so many women come into my office and say, I cannot leave because I know or I can't let him know this yet. Wait to send a letter or don't do anything yet because I know that that will trigger him. I know that me telling him that it's, finished is not it's not going to end well and you know women i've had to take out emergency protection orders before they even end the relationship to ensure that their life is i've got some they've got some safeguards around them for their life and their safety um so yeah it is a really dangerous time it's a dangerous time for families and it's a dangerous time for for victims and children um but yeah that i mean i can completely understand why people weren't willing or able to step in at the time, but that's the whole thing that Sue and Lloyd are are advocating for change is speak up, make sure you're recognising the um, very, you know, significant signs of coercive control and speak up, help people, you know, because it it can, you know, it may be too late. Gee, Kelly, I I don't miss those nights going home when particularly when I've had some involvement with some children that we've had to take away from a parent or whatever it be, but I don't miss those nights going home and thinking, have I done the right thing? Are they safe? And and I can tell you when I I heard about Hannah, um, you've already described the way that I reacted, but it took me days to recognise that it wasn't my fault. Um, Can you tell us about? Can you tell us about that, Kelly? Um, yeah, sure. I, I just I think it's probably it was a natural reaction for me to feel guilty because I was her lawyer. She asked me what she should do, and um, I gave her particular advice. And you know, and he wasn't seeing his kids as a result, and and she was killed. And so it was almost like, did I give her the? Did I did do I tell her the right thing? Did I was my advice right? But I know, I know that it was. I mean, he was clearly a very dangerous man. But 
to be honest, he, he's probably. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A lot can happen in 3 years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The very small percentage of the population that has is almost an incurable, um, really, really, really deeply evil. Um, oh, yeah. And to be able to do something like that, just you'll never, he'll never, um, her family will never, ever be able to get any closure on this no. because it's just no. you can't even fathom that kind of evil. But but also, Kelly, you look at the photo of them and, you know, obviously I don't know them, but you look at the photo and I don't know what an evil – I used to think I knew what an evil person looked like before joining the job, before joining policing, but you don't know behind that facade. They look, on the face of it, they look a perfect beautiful couple with three perfect children, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, I know what was going on behind closed doors and I know that it was far from perfect, but, um, yeah, you don't recognise it um, until it's too late quite often. Tell, tell us about the day that you did find out where you were and what happened. Um, ironically, I was chairing the Red Rose Foundation board meeting when we first had the news in Brisbane that these children had and their mother had been um, set alight in a car and had been the, the kids had died and mum was fighting for her life and dad had killed himself. And I, we heard about this incident 
whilst I was at the Red Rose Foundation chairing the meeting of a, a national domestic violence charity. And I finished up in that meeting in the city and it wasn't a very nice day, I remember. Um, and I went back to my office um, on the outskirts of the city because that's where my office was at the time. And um, I walked into my office and one of my staff said, you know who that was, don't you? And I said, no. And she said, "It's it was Hannah. <gasps> and I had to ask her again. And, um, yeah, I, I remember um, – becoming overwhelmed with emotion and just falling on a heap on the floor. And um, one of the other solicitors in my office had actually been friends with her um, in a past, in his past career as a shoe salesperson at Athlete's Foot, which is where she used to work up here. Um, And he had been a really close friend of hers in that job. And he also was obviously very affected by it. And um, I, remember going outside and calling Betty Taylor. It was the first call that I made, um, followed closely by my now husband, who at the time was working in Auckland and he was in a meeting and I had to call a a couple of times and I told him to get on a plane. He needed to come home now and I told him what happened and obviously he did. But, yeah, and then I, I kind of made a few more phone calls and I had to go home and luckily my ex husband took my kids um, that night, but I remember just laying on the couch and I had a puppy at the time and he was just lying on my lap and I didn't do anything or move for hours. Um, And again, we now know, well, I know, I knew at the time, but you and I know that's quite a significant sign that you're suffering with your post-traumatic stress disorder. So I decompensated obviously pretty badly at the time and over the coming days, I gathered a bit more strength and I went to the memorial service and I spoke at the Red Rose rally about her and started speaking and I realised how powerful it was to start speaking about it. Um, yeah. And really yeah. from there, I have my my speaking career, I suppose, and my charity work has gone from strength to strength. So she really has given me the mm. power to keep going yeah. Um so what was a couple of days that was really deeply traumatic for me and I'm not taking away from the many, many other people, including her dear family that suffered as well. Um, once that was over, that feeling was over, that guilt feeling was over and I recognised it wasn't my fault and it wasn't anyone's fault um, except his, um, I was able to start really doing what I knew I had to do again and it's kind of quadrupled in, um, in, you know, traction since Hannah's death. I'm giving a lot of my spare time to helping with domestic violence awareness here in Queensland and whilst mm. trying to focus on my business as well. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's, yeah. You obviously like pressure. Yeah. You like, obviously, I, my, obviously like stress. Yeah, my, <laughs> my girls, I've got a, a nearly eight-year-old and a nearly six-year-old and, all I all I care about is the fact that they know mummy helps people. Mummy helps people in really bad times and Has she ever? They know um they know about Hannah and they know and I remember they did a message with me for Hannah's family that we recorded and um they know about her and they know that it wasn't um they understand things that an eight-year-old and six-year-old probably don't normally understand, but I'm really glad they do because I'm starting from an early age with what is right and wrong and what 
um, what we do need to do. And they know that mummy goes to work every morning and works really hard and that they, that women can get out there and do that as well as be a good mum. So yeah. that's, you know, that keeps me going. Yeah. And, and Kelly, when you said that you were lying on the couch and that you um, were dealing with that feeling, that terrible feeling of guilt, how did you get over? How did you deal with that feeling of guilt? I spoke to people about it. Okay. Um, yeah. I spoke to colleagues. I spoke to friends. Um, I, I've got many. I've got a couple of colleagues. So I, I got. I spoke to a couple of psychologists that I work with regularly in family law, and I, I spoke to a couple of colleagues. And the law, the president of the law society up here, reached out to me, and I had a lot of people reach out to me to offer me assistance and Queensland Law Society have been incredible with helping me though, you know, assisting me with, with the inquest and, you know, I've got that to overcome in the next year as well. I'm, you know, going to be involved in some way, shape or form with that. Um, but the, you know, just speaking to colleagues and speaking to people and hearing, you know, that I had support around me and um, speaking about it as well really overcame a lot of, um, my feelings rather than just burying them. I reached out to Rowan's lawyer, um, spoke to him. He was a very young, fresh lawyer as oh, well. And, you know, we, we can't really? ever forget that the job that he had to do or how he would feel after all of that. Um, and I reached out to um, other practitioners that I known had lost clients um, in matters like this, probably not in such a public way but um that had lost clients to dv or you know had children in matters been murdered um so i reached out to to other colleagues that were able to assist me with coping strategies as well and it talking is key oh so you we've just spoken about this so much but if you don't talk about mental health and you don't talk about the way you're feeling you'll never ever be able to carry on Yeah. yeah So, Kelly, how did you find those people? You said that other lawyers and, you know, representatives of people that had um, passed or, you know, been killed or whatever when they were representing them, how did you find them? Or was that through word of mouth or is there a organisation? I don't know. How did you find them? Because that would be so cathartic to, to speak to somebody that had... Uh. I, I know the family law industry up here is quite tight, so it only took me speaking to one or two colleagues for okay. them to say, oh, so-and-so had an issue like this and, you know, you should ring this person. I know they'd be happy to speak to you, and I know them anyway. So people reached out to me um, pretty quickly. Um, I just spoke to a couple of colleagues and word, word travelled pretty quickly, um, and I had so many people reach out to me. I was really happy um, to have that support. So, you know, Hannah's husband, I, I can't say his name, but Hannah's husband, he, he really personified, didn't he, coercive control with that pattern of behaviour that's so typical yeah. and so difficult to identify. I don't, even, I, don't even, um, I don't even refer to him as Hannah's husband. If, if it's any consolation, I refer okay. to him as Hannah's murderer. Um, mm. he, he, doesn't, he doesn't get that title anymore. He doesn't get yeah. the, yeah. yeah um, true. Yeah. But, he, but, but it, it's oh. about control isn't it and creating yeah, he, was, he was yeah in a yeah from what i understand post her death there was a lot more going on with him that we didn't know about um uh and you know all of it will 
come out as the inquest is heard next year, um, which is going to be incredibly difficult for Sue and Lloyd um, and all of their family and friends. But, um, yeah, we'll, the public will learn more about what happened in the lead up and what are the signs we should have looked out for because that's the whole point of the inquest is to try and stop this happening yeah. again. So, yeah. Actually, that was my next question. So if a friend or family member uh, know or suspect that something might be happening to their loved one or their brother, sister, whatever, what would your advice be to that person? Get them, get, get them to speak to somebody about it, a, a lawyer or a DV service. You would have to approach that person and say, I'm concerned about you. Or you I'm have to. You've yeah. got to have, yeah. you have to step up. You have to step up. Um, don't be scared to step up. That's the big thing. Um, it could save someone's life. So don't, you know, you've got, gone are the days where we just do this in silence. We've got to step up and talk to people. And if it really is the case that something bad is happening, yeah, they might be resistant at the beginning, but at least they know they can come back to you if things are getting worse because you've you've already spoken up about it. So always you've got to speak up. If you don't speak up and something does happen, it's going to be far worse feeling than what it would be if you spoke up and they rejected you first off. Yeah, true, yeah. And so if there's somebody out there now, and there will be, unfortunately, Somebody will be listening to this thinking I'm in that situation or I feel the situation with my partner is, you know, the the violence or the coercive control is becoming difficult. What would you tell somebody in that situation to do to prove what they are experiencing? Like I'm suggesting here, maybe do they write a journal or do they record it on their phone or what What would you suggest they do? Be careful with recording things on your phone without other people knowing about them, specifically phone calls because some of it, some of it can breach certain telecommunications legislation, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. Recording actual incidents, though, is very handy. I mean, I've had people be prosecuted successfully on the recording of um of incidents on telephones um keep a journal 100 percent keep a journal report every incident to the police don't be scared to go to the police if you don't go to the police um and you know the next thing happens you know just be 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 prepared to go and report it um if you're not comfortable with doing that and so many people aren't keep a journal, record things, have a safety plan in place, have an exit strategy in place, start putting things together. Make sure you're putting some, if you can, if you've got the ability, and so many women don't, I understand that, um, to put a little bit of money aside, then do that. But if you can't do that because so many people are financially controlled these days, then there are people that can help you. Um, So reach out, um, Legal advice, I know here in Queensland Women's Legal Service is a great assistance to women that don't have the funding to contact a lawyer, but there are lawyers out there um, that will help, um, you know, on a no-fee basis to begin with or on a legal aid basis. There's lots of help out there, so just don't don't go anywhere because, um, because you don't think there's enough help for you or that you can't afford it. But but also, if they go to the police, I would say from a police 
perspective, if you go to the police and you're not happy with their response, if they say, oh, well, give us a ring if it gets any worse or whatever, yeah. go to another police person, ring yeah. another police station. Yeah. You know, you've just got to persevere because yeah. you'll get someone like um, you said that Hannah and who was it that had – yeah, Hannah had really good response from the Queensland Police Service. Yeah. But not everybody that rings police gets that sort of response, unfortunately. So I think you would just persevere. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to have to wrap things up quickly, Narelle. Can I, I can finish off later. I've just realised I'm in court in 10 minutes. I have to go. You've <laughs> got to go to court. You go. <laughs> thank you so much, Callie. All right. Thank you, Callie. Bye. I want to finish off reading an article which I saved years ago because it was so powerful. It was the perspective from a child who's lived through domestic violence and let's never, ever forget the children of domestic violence. It's called Children Trapped in Vicious Cycle and it was um, in the age on the 7th of December 2020 and it was written by a man called Sam who spoke to a joint investigation by The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald and 60 Minutes and Sam isn't his real name but let me read it to you. The kids of family violence relationships must be recognised as victims in their own right. That's the heading. Every day when we turned into our street coming home from school, I'd feel sick. If his car was there, the sick feeling turned to fear. What's he going to do? The fear in your head doesn't have boundaries the way physical pain does. The bruises on your mum's face heal, but the fear never leaves. It just surrounds you and suffocates every second of your life. What if he kills her next time? What if she's not there to protect us kids and he kills us? He hated us. I heard him doing things to my mum that I am only making sense of now that I'm a teenager. I saw him bash her so badly I genuinely thought she was dead. I was there in the hospital when they said she was lucky to have survived. I comforted my sister when he punched her in the head because she was being silly brushing her teeth. He'd scare her so much she'd wet herself. I saw the threats about him hunting me down notify across mum's phone screen as we fled to a refuge. I'm speaking out and writing this as a child survivor of family violence. Family violence that the county court described as serious, protracted and grave. Family violence that nearly killed my mum. Family violence that Victoria Police did not take seriously enough. I'm doing this because the kids like me are not seen as victims in our own right, with unique perspectives and experiences of family violence that are different to our mother's experiences. We have different experiences of family violence and support needs to our mums. And I want the public, police and the system to see this, change and deal with us as victims in our own right. We are not extensions of our mothers. I love my mum and I know she felt trapped and was controlled by him, but she could have left and eventually she did. He could have stopped thinking the law didn't apply to him. The police could have decided to help when they found out about what he was doing instead of protecting him because he was one of them. 
All those adults could have made choices that would have stopped the violence. And as kids, we didn't have that choice. We were trapped with no way out. I cannot describe the fear we lived with every single day. My only escape was reading books and school. School was the only place I felt safe. Right now, some of my friends are where I was then, trapped. They listened to their mothers making excuses for the abuse and bruises, blaming themselves and trying to keep their abusers happy to stop escalations. They are scared and they have no one. The system doesn't see them as victims and there's no support or help for them unless their mother decides to leave. My friends know what I went through and have confided in me. All I can do is listen and tell them to plead with their mothers to leave because it never gets better. I know that if their mothers leave, the courts and police will let them down. I spent hours reliving the trauma, doing my victim impact statement, but the judge didn't even refer to it when he overturned my stepfather's jail sentence and gave him a community corrections order. I didn't exist. The police contacted mum, but not us. My sister and I were named victims of offending too, stuff he pleaded guilty to, but Victoria Police has gaslighted us so badly that they didn't speak to us beyond getting video statements. We've never had counselling or support referrals from them because the police don't see us kids as family violence victims. The children of family violence relationships are much more likely to get in family violence relationships as adults because it's familiar and they don't see the red flags. I know that is a proven fact and I only need to look at my mum to see an anecdote. My nan told me she copped 20 years of abuse before she left because she was scared her ex would kill my mum on an access weekend if nan left and because he had a gun and had made threats. If family violence is to stop, then the start has to be with the system seeing kids like me as victims in our own right, supporting us and in doing so, helping us to make better choices than our parents and learning what respectful relationships look like. You can march against family violence and say what you want to stop it like police command does. But if you don't help support and recognise child victim survivors as victims in their own right, this cycle of intergenerational violence, trauma and disrespect will never end. In my family, it ends with me. I can say that because I'm lucky. Mum didn't die that night, he almost killed her. And despite what police did, she left and she did her best to hold him to account and end the violence. What kind of men will my friends trapped in family violence households grow up to be? To Victoria Police, I want you to see the trauma of family violence on my sister and me. Was protecting your own worth what was done to us kids? When you leaked our safety and escape plan to his mates on, quote, member welfare grounds, unquote, do you still think his welfare was more important than my life as a kid? It doesn't matter what you say about family violence. It matters what you do. You do not care about kids like me. You need to change. The whole system needs to change. No kid should live with what I have. The violence has to stop. Start by prioritising and supporting child victim survivors. Oh, my goodness. 
I'll leave you with that. Thank you. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A-T-R-E-O-N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.